0: Well, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been here, and it seems like yesterday, and it seems like forever ago. And we are thanking Gil for doing an outstanding job filling in. You all start praying more. I know no one raised their hands before, but... Well, it's been a while since we've actually been in the book of Mark, which we started a while ago. So I'm going to recap a little bit about where we are, where where God brought us through at this point. At this point, Jesus had been preaching against the current Jewish man-made laws. He rebuked them a week or so ago for their stand on hand-washing. In Mark 7, 5, it says, So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old customs? For they eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Then in verse 6, it says, Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was prophesying about you when he said, These people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far away their worship is a farce for they replace god's commands with their own man-made teachings for you ignore god's specific laws and substitute your own traditions then he also came up against their stand on having children dishonor their parents by not taking care of them by saying that their quote their all their resources are tied up serving god if you remember we talked about that and we and we talk about children these are adult children these aren't little kids. These are adult children who have basically said, well, hey, I, I, I put my money in a trust. I, I told God that he can have it, so I can't take care of your mom and dad, and which kind of defied uh, the honor of your parents' commandment. Then he dismantled the dietary laws by saying, food doesn't defile you, but what you say is what does. Mark 7, 14. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All you listen, he said, and try to understand. You are not defiled by what you eat. You are defiled by what you say and what you do. Then he doubles down on that statement in verse 18. He says, don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that what you eat won't defile you? Food doesn't come in contact with your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then comes out again. By saying this, he showed that every kind of food is acceptable. And then he added, it's the thought life that defiles you. From, from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, and murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, eagerness for lustful pleasure, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you and make you unacceptable to God. So the reason I kind of recap this is it ties into the next section that we're going to study today. So let's pray before we begin that. Father, we thank you for your word again. And we pray your anointing upon these words. I pray that everything I say is exactly what you want me to say. And I pray that your word sinks into the hearts of the people. that it accomplish its purpose. We know it will not return void, but it will work in every life. So have your way. Speak through these words in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you remember, the Gospel of Mark is written to Gentiles. So he's trying to, in his writings, he's making it understandable to them. He doesn't quote Jewish tradition. He doesn't quote law. He's trying to make it palatable so the Gentiles can understand why he's coming against this. And that's where you pick up at Matthew 7, verse 24. It says, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He tried to keep it secret that he he was there, but he couldn't. As usual, the news of his arrival spread fast. Right away a woman came to him whose little girl was possessed by an evil spirit. She had heard about Jesus, and now she came and fell at his feet. She begged him to release her child from the demon's control. And since she was a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, First, I should help my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are given some crumbs from the children's plates. Good answer, he said, and because you've answered so well, I have healed your daughter. And when she arrived home, her little girl was lying quietly in bed and the demon was gone. So why does Mark put this, this particular passage in? It's not, actually it's not chronological with what happened before, but it's in the same vein, it's the same context of what he's talking about. Jews, Jews at that time didn't associate with Gentiles because being in Gentile area made them ceremonially unclean. If you remember, we talked a while ago about having to wash your feet when you came back off a of Gentile land and then the ceremonial washings, you're washing the Gentile, quote, germs off you. Well, he specifically debunked that earlier. And this is just another example of what he's now forcing, or he's putting the gospel out to the Gentiles. He goes to this place called Tyre, which actually borders on the town of Gentiles. The Phoenicia. That's a Gentile town, it's right next to them. He deliberately goes there because that's his next step. He's kind of putting his money where his mouth is. He's telling them, okay, Gentiles are in, Gentiles are included. Now I'm going to show you why. And I'm going to show you how that's going to happen. And he goes to this town called Tyre. And in verse 24, it says, Then he left Galilee, went north to the region of Tyre. He tried to keep it secret that he was there, but he couldn't. As usual, the news of his arrival spread fast. Mark puts this in because it ties up with the other two events that he just kind of rebuked or uh, debunked. And the assumption here is that Jesus actually was, how many know Jesus was tired? Jesus gets tired, right? Jesus gets hungry. Jesus was a man. Everything that affects us affects him, and he needed some rest. And he goes to this town, and he tries to find some rest. And the assumption here is he tried to recoup. He's trying to get well to minister again through Tyre and up to the the Gentile area. However, his fame had spread all the way through the town of Tyre into Syria, Phoenicia. So why did he go there? Because he was going to show the disciples what he was telling them about the food. The food was clean. Now the Gentiles are going to be clean as well. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Everyone needs a savior. Now, many believe he did want to rest, but of course he didn't get any. If you remember how many times we talked about Jesus not wanting word to get out about his miracles, and the reason he was so adamant about that is because he wanted to rest between times. He knew crowds would come. He knew there'd be a crowd around him, and he needed time to rest, and he wanted to be able to announce himself on his schedule, but as we saw how many people didn't, didn't keep that, didn't keep their mouths shut, they went out and told everybody And so exactly what Jesus feared was happening. He wanted to get rest. He goes to Tyre, which is away from the other town. And yet everyone knew about him and crowds came around him again. And so he was exactly where he really didn't want to be. Verse 25 says, Right away a woman came to him whose little girl was possessed by an evil spirit. She had heard about Jesus and now she came and fell at his feet. She begged him to release her child from the demon's control. And since she was a Gentile, born in Phoenicia, Now, there's a couple of things that were facing this woman coming up to Jesus, right? There's a lot of obstacles. This account of this woman shows her faith because she had to fight a lot of obstacles to get to Jesus. The first one was, well, she's a Gentile, right? And we mentioned that Jews don't associate with Gentiles. And she did not let that reality deter her from coming to Jesus. Everyone around her said, hey, we don't associate with them. I'm going anyways. Now, she could have faced ridicule or even outright rejection by Jesus. She didn't care. I don't care what I'm facing as I'm going to Jesus. My daughter is more important. My faith is in that Jesus can do this. I've heard of him before. I'm going to push through the crowd and get his attention and have him heal. Now, also, she's a Gentile. Maybe her family and her friends would have rejected her for going to Jesus. Now, it doesn't say that, but it was probably a reality for her. Did her family rebuke her for, hey, he's Jewish, we don't hang with them, don't go. Now, I thought about that. How many people don't entertain listening to the gospel because they fear that their family would reject them if they do? And how many have experienced that family and friend rejection When you've actually come to Christ Your family is all upset and mad because you've done exactly what they said not to do What she thought or what she felt other people would think did not deter her from going to Jesus Because she knew that Jesus had what she needed The second obstacle she faced was the fact that she was a woman and women didn't approach men in those days women were more than A little more than servants in a men-dominated world. Now, her society status did not stop her either. Jesus talks about it being harder for a rich man to come to Christ. Why was that? Because they traveled in different circles. They had different social statuses. The money and notoriety that rich people had allowed them to travel in different circles. Going to church or talking about Jesus could ostracize them from the society and the status and the group of people they hang with. And it's no different for poor people because our social circles have an influence on us, whether we like to admit it or not. And when we come to Jesus, we may have to break those circles, we have, may have to come against those circles. In her society, her social status was a woman. And she basically had no rights, no authority. And yet, she did not let that deter her from coming to Jesus. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. The bottom line for her is that she didn't care what anyone thought about what she was doing. It was more important for her to go to Jesus than what anyone thought. What any social circle would have thought, any rejection that she may have experienced from her family or her friends, those she hung around with, none of that mattered because she knew that Jesus could heal her daughter. And the question we have here is, do we care more about what people think of us than doing the right thing? How many operate a little bit differently in in your job than maybe you act in church? Do you care about what people think of you at work? Now, we should care in that We want to live a Christ-like life. But we shouldn't care that we live a Christ-like life. The third thing that was against her was the devil. Obviously, the devil possessed her daughter. demon possessed her daughter. That was Satan's domain. That's his MO. That's his modus operandi, right? So obviously, Satan didn't want her to go to Jesus. When we pray for people to come to Christ... Understand that the devil is against you. How many know that? When you pray for God to work, the devil is definitely against you. He does not want you to accomplish what you're praying for. He doesn't want you to accomplish what your ministry is. He will do everything he can to stop you from being what what God calls you to be. But even the devil can't prevent God from doing what God wants to do if, what did Gil say last week? We are persistent. We are persistent like this woman was persistent. Even the enemy couldn't keep her from Jesus. The fourth thing that was against her was the the disciples. Now, Matthew's account tells us this. In Matthew 15, 23, it says, But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to leave, they said. She's bothering us with all of her begging. Now, I hope that none of us are like that. Driving people away who need Jesus. I wrote down here a quote. Ministry is messy. How many know that? And people can be bothersome. How many know that? Right, Pastor Tim? There's a sentence that says, ministry would be awesome if it weren't for the people. But guess what? Ministry is people. And ministry is messy and people are bothersome and sometimes it's a struggle. But guess what? You still go anyways. We don't want to be the ones that are pushing people away from Jesus because they're bothersome. Even the disciples, how many times did they do that? They said, send the kids away. Send this woman away. In other words, what we're doing is more important than people. But actually, what we're doing is important because of people. We're still called to lead people to Jesus, regardless of how bothersome they might be. I heard Chuck Swindoll preaching the other day. I guess he was preaching to potential preachers. And he says, If you don't have a shepherd's heart, he said, then don't be a preacher. You can be a teacher, you can be a professor. You'd be a Christian businessman, but if you don't have a shepherd's heart to shepherd people, don't do it. God calls us to be shepherds, and God calls us to be under-shepherds, to bring people to Jesus, to care about people, to love people into the kingdom, regardless of how bothersome they might be or you may think they are. Number five, it seemed that even Jesus was against her. Back in Matthew's account, it says, but Jesus Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. So she comes up and asks him to heal her daughter, and he just stands there. Now, I'd be kind of nervous if I were her. But then Mark's account goes on and says, first, I should help my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Now, the analogy here is children at home with dogs that are pets. He's not talking about the Gentiles as dogs, he's not talking about wild dogs, he's talking about dogs that they kept as pets. And it's basically Jesus saying to them or saying to her that salvation is of the Jews. It's for the Jews first, right? Jesus knew the gospel would be made available to the Gentiles in the near future, and he wanted to see how far she was going to press him. Romans 1:16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And notice what he said. His statement says, first, I should help my own family, the Jews. And she picked up on that. She picked up on that word first. And she knew that the time was coming to include the Gentiles. He said, first, okay, then that means the Gentiles are going to come later. And she's basically saying, if not now, when? When? We heard that on Wednesday night in the video. She's saying, okay, Jesus, that time is now. I need that time to be now. In Mark 7:28, she replied, that's true, Lord. Even the dogs under the table are given some crumbs from the children's plates. Now, how many of you have dogs? And how many of you have kids? And how many of you, your kids feed your dogs? From the table. We had dogs when I was growing up. And whenever we didn't have anything that we didn't like, it was sort of a... We we were at men's breakfast yesterday. On the menu is liver and onions. Someone said, who would order that for breakfast? I said, who would order that ever? (laughs) My parents used to make that, and it tasted like the bottom of my shoe. And so every time we had that, it was the dogs were having a feast, man, because they were chewing it up. And what he's saying, Jesus is saying, look, even the dogs are given the scraps in the, ta- the kids' plates. Notice her response. She didn't deny that the Jews were first. She said, hey, I, I get it. I get it. They're the first recipients of God's grace. And I'm not, I'm not trying to override I'm not overriding that, Lord. I'm not trying to usurp that, that chain of command you have there. But she believed when he said First. That means something is second. And she used his word to make her case. She persisted according to what Jesus said. He said first, okay, there's got to be a second. I want that second to be me. I'm trusting what you said, Lord. You said first, so there's going to be a second. I'm trusting your word. Gil talked about being persistent. Pray according to what God's word says. She was coming at Jesus using his own words to talk to him, to plead her case. Lord, you said first, so I believe there's a second, and I'm that second. I want to be that second. When we pray, we use God's promises in his word for our reason for believing that God will answer. Not because we think it or feel it. If God's word says it, that's how we pray. Because God, you said it, and that's how she's she's approaching Jesus. Lord, you said first. That means there's a second. I want to be the second. I'm trusting what you said. When we pray for salvation for people, look at what God said about salvation. And this is our verse we've been using it over and over again. 2 Peter 3:9. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Okay, that's what God's word says. God wants everyone to get saved. Now, we know everyone won't get saved, but he wants everyone to be saved, right? But it doesn't deter us from praying because we're praying God's will, right? Why? Because God's word also says, 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, what's his will? Everyone come to repentance. He will hear us. And if he, and we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. That's pretty, pretty plain, straightforward, right? We pray that God, God wants everyone to come to Christ. God says, you ask anything according to my will, I'll do it. Well, okay, Lord, I'm coming to you on your word that you want everyone to come to repentance. So, Lord, I'm praying that you save them. So after this woman comes back to Jesus with his own words, what does he do? Does Jesus get defensive? Hey, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. You're twisting, you're twisting my words. Now, what did Jesus say? He's pleased that she came back to him using his words. She said, hey, good answer. Good answer, Jesus says. Her response showed him that she was on the ball. She, she picked up on that first thing. She was humble enough When acknowledging, hey, I know the Jews are first. And and that she was happy with the crumbs that were left over. Notice she didn't demand anything. She knew that she wasn't worthy of receiving anything. But she relied on the goodness of God. Not anything that she had done that made her deserve it. When we approach God in prayer, we need to have the same humility. We don't deserve anything. How many understand that? We don't deserve anything. We're not worthy to receive anything. But we rely on what God's word says and our faith and trust to do what his word tells us he's going to do. He will, base, he will answer based on my trust in what his word says. This woman was a Gentile and we assume that she never followed any of God's laws. She didn't know them. And his response to her was not based on her life or her performance. Bible says, God does not answer us according to our, our sins. <laughs> How many are glad of that? Her respo- his response was not based on her life or performance. Verse 29 says, good answer, he said. And because you've answered so well, I've healed your daughter. And when she arrived home, the little girl was lying quietly in bed and the demon was gone. I like Matthew's account. It says, woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Her answer indicated, his answer indicated her faith. And it was her faith that Jesus commended. And because of her faith, the daughter was healed. Was the woman perfect? No. No woman was a sinner was a Gentile outside the Jewish covenant and God still healed her only because of her faith and persistence which is good for us because are we perfect anybody perfect aren't you glad that God answers our prayer even when we're not perfect do we pray with confidence according to what God has already said that he will, he will do in response to our faith. Yes, we pray in confidence. Warren Wiersbe says this, Great faith is faith that takes God at his word and will not let go until God meets the need. Great faith can lay a hold of even the slightest encouragement and turn it into a fulfilled promise. And if you know Warren Wiersbe, he's not a Pentecostal. But his statement here makes it sound like he was. Now, there's only two times in the Bible that Jesus commends people for their great faith. One was this woman, and the other was a Roman centurion. Notice, both of them Gentiles. Never once did he commend Jews for their great faith. And in both of these accounts, Jesus healed from a distance. He didn't have to go. He healed it from a distance. So why does Mark put this here? It's written to Roman Gentiles. Mark wanted to show that the line between Jew and Gentile was being dismantled, taken down. uh, Miracles and healings and deliverances were no longer only for the Jews, but were now available to the Gentile. Now, next week's section also shows an account of Jesus going in Gentile territory for yet another healing. And we'll talk about that week. So why did Jesus never commend the Jews for great faith? i got a theory. The Jews were so locked into what they were taught and what they experienced in their lives that they didn't have room for anything else to permeate that barrier. I've made up my mind. Don't confuse me with the facts. Well, you know what? God's never worked this way in my life, so I don't think God works that way. How many have heard that one? God's never done this for me, so I think God never does this anywhere. Now, it's easy to look back and think that the Jews were crazy not to believe, right? You look 2020 hindsight, you look back and say, how could they not see it? Well, the thing was, they were so intent on what they were always taught, they were never open to what God might be doing in their midst. In other words, God has never done this, work this way in my life. So, I don't think God works that way. Now, that's not to say we look out the, outside the boundaries of God's Word. But do we allow for the Holy Spirit to do something that maybe we've never experienced before? Or maybe we haven't experienced it in a long time? If God's Word says that He heals, but you know, we haven't seen that in a long time, does that mean that God no longer heals? Or should we just accept the fact that maybe that's how God operates now? He hasn't healed for a long time, so maybe God's no longer healing. I think we know the answer to that. There's a saying that says, if you feel distant from God, guess who moved? I'm going to modify that to say, if God isn't answering prayer and doing miracles today like he did yesterday, what's changed? it's easy to get drawn into the thinking that, well, you know what, that's how God operates today. We don't see miracles like we used to. We don't see healings like we used to. Maybe that's how God is working today. But we sang the song that God's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So how God worked yesterday is how God's going to work today. This woman kept persisting, even though everything seemed to be against her. It never occurred in her life before. I'm sure that she had never heard about miracles until this point. And yet, she didn't let her past experiences and what she might have been taught stop her from seeking God. It was her persistence and faith in Jesus' words that resulted in her daughter being healed. Now, Gil preached for two weeks on prayer. No coincidence that God arranged this. How many know that? How many times have a sermon been preached and it tied into the Sunday school lesson? Or it tied into you know, this was the next, next chapter in Mark. It wasn't like I was searching out for something to do. This was what was next in the book of Mark and it just coincided with sermons on prayer. No coincidence that God arranged this and that it corresponds to what God wants to do today. So here's what we're going to do. I want us to put aside any preconceived notions about how we think God operates. How many of you have been praying for something you haven't received it yet? Are you being persistent? We, uh, in our Sunday school class, I mentioned that when my kids or my grandkids would take them to the store, every single thing they laid their eyes on, they wanted. How many "I want this, this, this this?" And we would say, "No, no, no. But if there was one thing that they consistently kept asking for and they really were persistent about it we might get that for them but what we were doing is we wanted to see how much they really wanted it all the other 50 things that they said they wanted one time we knew they didn't care about but the one thing that they really were persistent about asking for we knew that they wanted I believe God operates the same way how persistent, how much do you really want what God has? And the only way that's going to happen is by prayer and being persistent in prayer. In Daniel, when Daniel prayed for deliverance, the Bible says it took three weeks of consistent prayer for that answer to break through, fighting with the enemy to get there. If Daniel had stopped at 20 days, he wouldn't have answered how many have been praying for your family, your friends, your loved ones for years? Phil and Marina. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes consistent, persistent prayer. What I want to do, Gil preached on unity in prayer. How many are here, heard that, remembered that? There's power in unity. Right? There's power in unity. And there's power in prayer. There's power in persistent prayer. We are waiting for God to do something. And we've been praying and praying. Well, you know what? We're going to keep praying until God does something. There's the acronym PUSH. Pray until something happens. And we're going to do that right now. The song we sang, the same, same God says, You are the healer then. You're the healer now. Is that true? So I'm going to ask, specifically I'm going to ask Judy to come up front. You knew I was going to do that, weren't, didn't you? You kind of fought that, right? Well, do we believe what God's word says? Now we know we've been praying for Judy. Judy. And I know there's other people in here who've been praying for specific things as well. It doesn't have to be healing, it could be anything. And you haven't seen God move yet. This is the time. I'm asking you to come and trust and we're gonna be unity, unified in prayer that God does this in their life. So if you have another need, I want you to come up front too. But nobody has a need. Everything's perfect in your life. Now, if you're part of the prayer team and you have not come up yet, I'm asking you to come up and we're going to lay hands on these folks and we're going to believe together in unity that God is going to do something. God is the same yesterday, today, forever. God is the healer. As Anna said, God's the restorer of relationships. God is the one who reconciles you between you and God. God is the one who does everything that we need God to do. And only God can do most of it, if not all of it. So we're going to pray and believe together as a body of believers that God is going to do it. And we sang those songs. Do the songs mean anything? Do the words of the songs mean anything? And we want to be in the room when God moves. And I believe that God's going to do that this morning. Yep. We're going to anoint you. Bible says, "If any of you is sick, call the elders of the church, anoint them with oil, and the prayer offered in faith will raise up the sick person." Now that's pretty plain; it's not ambiguous. Would you stand? And we're gonna to agree together as a body of believers. God knows what each and every need upon your heart is. And maybe we haven't seen answers to prayer like we think we should, but it doesn't mean we stop praying. It means we pray until something happens. And the persistency of that woman breaking through every barrier that would have kept her from coming to Jesus. She didn't care what people thought. She didn't care what the consequences would be with her family back home. She didn't care that the disciples didn't even want her. She didn't even care that Jesus was ambivalent about it at first. But she believed that Jesus would do it because she had heard that he had done it before. And she trusted in what he said to her in his word was true. we're going to approach God with the same persistence the same unity of believers one will fight a thousand two will fight ten thousand there's power in unity so father we stand before you this morning and we thank you we thank you for your word we don't worship your word we worship the God of the word but your word is your map your roadmap to how we are to trust you and what we are to believe about you and your word is simply plain that you are the God who heals and we will continue to he- pray for healing in the name of Jesus until healing comes and we believe that you will touch Judy and Marion and everyone else who needs your physical touch today for the glory of God to be seen every miracle that has been witnessed in the Bible was done to allow people to come to faith in Christ as an example as a testimony to what god can do so lord i pray that the healing power of god comes upon each person in the name of jesus that your name is glorified through these healings that people see the power of god in these healings that lord no one doubts that the hand of god is upon each and every situation and we are thanking you now for what you're going to do for those who have a financial need or a family burden or anything that i might not even know about But, Father, You do. I pray that the power of God comes upon those situations and that we continue and we believe as a body, as a church body, as a family of believers. We lift up every need to You and we believe that the God is the God who can restore. You are the God who reconciles. You are the God who heals. You are the God who provides. You are everything to us, Lord. You provide everything. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. So we believe that every prayer we pray is meant to bless these people bless each person here and ultimately bring glory to god we thank you for the miracles you've done in our past lord we all have testimonies and they're great memories but we don't live in the past we are trusting you for what you're going to do today what you're going to do tomorrow what you're going to do next week we believe that the god of yesterday is the same god today and you want to continue on doing these miraculous things in order to bless your people bless your children As well as lead others into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ we thank you for the power that is present in the person of the Holy Spirit we thank you for the Holy Spirit that ministers to each one of us not only here in in church but at home That God as we read your word your Holy Spirit teaches us and renews promises to us and builds our faith to trust you for those promises Lord we've all experienced great answers to prayer And if you're the same yesterday that you are today, we believe those answers will come again in the name of Jesus. Father, we are your children and we humbly fall at your feet as this woman did. And we want the scraps of your blessing, Lord. We want just the the bare minimum of what you have. But your word tells us you've poured out abundant life upon us. So even though we know that the scraps are enough, we want the abundant life of Christ poured upon us in, in unmeasurable measure. That God, when we leave today, we will know we've experienced the love and the power of God. And throughout this week, we will see and hear answers to prayer, not because we're worthy. This woman wasn't worthy, Lord. We're not worthy. We just pray according to your word. And we trust that your word is true. And we thank you for your word. And our faith is built up. Our faith is in you. It's not in other things, Lord. Our faith is in what you have promised us. So, Father, I commit each person to you, Lord. You do the work. You get the glory, Lord. Let's hear testimony after testimony after testimony of what you are accomplishing. You get all the glory. We get no credit. We get no glory. We want the glory of God to be seen. We want God to get the glory. He gets the credit for anything and everything that happens. That is good. He gets all the credit and the glory. So, Father, we want your glory to be manifest here. We want the power of God to be seen. We want people's lives to be changed. Both physically, emotionally, and most importantly, spiritually, Father. So all those who we're praying for in our family and friends who don't know you, again, we pray according to the will of God. You want all to be saved. So we're praying that your will be done in their lives. Whatever that means, whatever that takes, I pray that you would do that. That you would save them in the name of Jesus. Send other Christians to them, Lord. Send situations in their life. Whatever you need to do, Lord, to bring them to Christ before it's too late, Lord. Lord. You're long-suffering. You haven't returned yet in the rapture. You haven't returned because there's more people to be saved. So, Lord, I pray that you would do that before you return. Save our family. Save our friends. Work in their lives. Let the miracles we experience here be a catalyst to let those folks we are praying for see what God can do in a, in a tangible sense so that the miracles of God will be evidence to them and they will come to believe in you. Father, we thank you for saving us for being long-suffering with us, for doing what you need to to do in our lives to get our attention. And we know that you'll do that for them because you love them just like you love us. And we want them to experience the blessing and the joy that we have as Christians. Help us to be about your business and help us to see what you're doing. We thank you for the healing that we're counting as done. We're thanking you for the restoration, the reconciliation, the family situations and the, and the financial situations that we already count as done. We trust you that it's already finished. So Father, we stand before you we commit ourselves to you. We commit these requests to you. You're the God who does it. We can't do anything except lay those requests before you. And we pray that you would get glory through answering each one. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people shouted in victory. Amen. 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 Would you praise the Lord this morning? Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Now, how many of us can say that she doesn't normally need a microphone? uh, Red?
1: My breath's not working. (laughs) As we are praying, the Lord just pressed on my heart. I have to say this. Yeah, and when you said, oh, no, I knew you were going to call me up. There's times I hate to keep coming up for prayer. Not because I hate to come up or because I'm shy or bashful or I don't believe, but because I'm afraid the body will get discouraged. Do you understand what I mean? Because they see this, you know, why aren't these prayers answered? But I just want to share something. The ablation didn't work well, so I'm back on the pills, which I can't, uh, different ones, but I can't tolerate the medicine, so I'm having a lot of problem with the medicine. I had as az- the asthma. <laughs> everything is just like fighting against the other thing. But when I went back for my CT scan, the nodule they treated that was cancerous, everything looks like it's supposed to look. There's no change. But that's the way it's supposed to look because it takes a while. But this is important now. But the one that they decided to let go and not treat, for some reason, it's going away. Uh-huh. The Lord. <laughs> and that was away from where the other ones were. So you see, God don't always work the way we think. Whatever I know God has a plan for me. I know God loves me, and he has a plan for my good. So our job is just to trust what God's doing in our lives, even when it don't look like we'd like it to look or like we think it should. And I just wanted to share that with you this morning. We sing that song all the time. God is working even when we think he isn't working. See, he's wor- God's doing that. There's no reason why that other growth is leaving my body, but it is. And that's the one we're not doing a thing with. Hmm. And that's, <laughs> you know, but, and I thought, you know, and I believe that's just an affirmation, God said. Look, don't get discouraged all the time. God is a healer. He's powerful, and I believe we're going to see God do miracles like we can never imagine. And I believe that, regardless what he does In me, I know he's working, and I know he's a miracle worker. When I sat there in the pew this morning, that song when we sang, I want to be here when God moves, I tell you what, it just thrilled my heart. Just sit there and hear them little kids singing the words. Did you hear that? Yeah. Yep. I tell you, God's not going to forsake that generation. I believe they're going to see miracles, and I believe he's going to work in them and through them because they have such innocent and beautiful hearts, and he's already working in them. What testimony. And it just thrilled my heart to hear them, to hear them this morning. And now I'll give this back because, see, I can just keep going on. No. And oh, and no. And on. But God is so good, and he is on the move more today than ever, and we're going to see great things. Amen.
0: Amen. 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 It's an honor and a privilege to serve the Lord. Amen. And God is good to us, even though we may not think he is all the time, God is always good. Think about your kids. And I, I've said this before. When your kids are little and you do things that they don't like, you do it because it's best for them. And they don't understand it. They may not like it. But as they get older, they'll understand it. And I think the older we get in the Lord, we understand. may not like it, but we understand what God's doing. And who knows what God's going to do through all of this. And maybe that generation is the one that is, you know, their leaders when Christ returns. We don't know. But we want to be making disciples of people and teaching them God's Word and part of that is seeing what God can do in faith. Yeah. Yes. And we believe God's going to do it. Amen. Amen? 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 Praise the Lord. We praise the Lord again this morning.